Um, Go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 13 this morning. We are jumping back into our series. Actually, I haven't left this series. We've been doing it for a while. We're we're going through the series, uh, Jesus Is, is what we've called this series. It's going through the Gospel of John, the the eyewitness account of Jesus is probably his closest friend, uh, his eyewitness account of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ministry. And John makes it abundantly clear in the 20th chapter of his epic gospel account, he, he, he makes it clear why he wrote it. And it was so that the reader, which in this case is you and I, would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God in the flesh come to save and redeem and restore mankind. It's a beautiful thing. So that's his agenda. That's what we're going through this morning. Typically, I would try to come up with some like engaging story to tell you right now to introduce our topic, um, but I gotta be honest with you. Uh, this passage is one of these kinds of passages when we go through scripture, there's like so much here. Um, we could probably do like, I don't know, four different sermons just in these short little verses today. So for the sake of time or for the sake of what we're going to go through, I'm just going to jump right in, okay? So that being said, will you pray with me? I want to pray for our time and just kind of really invite the Spirit to do what he wants to do in us. There's power in the Word of God, my friends. Let's recognize that before we jump in, okay? Will you pray with me? Uh, Holy Spirit, we do. We invite you um, even more than we already have at this point in our gathering. We want to encounter you, God. We want to hear from you. We want you to speak to us. We want you to lead us. I pray that you'd use me right now, Holy Spirit, to love and serve these precious people. I don't want to get in the way of anything that you want to do, God. So be with us. We open our hearts to you now. We recognize that that, that your word really is powerful, that your gospel is powerful. I mean, we want to encounter you. So we open ourselves up to you. Lead us, guide us, speak to us. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so really quick before we jump in, we're going to start in verse 31, but I kind of just want to bring you up to speed where we're going to pick up the story. If you've been journeying with us the last several weeks, you'll know where we are, but I just kind of want to refresh our memory here. We're picking things up on the very last night of Jesus' life. Okay, the very last night of his life. So he's at this Passover meal with his, his 12 disciples. And if you remember, it's, it's the time when he washed their feet, right? He serves them. He, he models what it looks like, to act, like what, what true leadership is. It's sacrificial. It's self-sacrificial. It's service. It's living for the benefit of others. He washes their feet. And if you do remember, um, <clears throat> right before this, Judas, one of his 12, his chosen 12 disciples, Judas leaves to go betray Jesus, to go basically sell him out to the religious authorities who are then going to, you know, put him on trial in the middle of the night, which they're not supposed to do, and ultimately he's going to be crucified the next morning. This is the last night of Jesus' life, okay, right after Judas leaves. So let's pick up there. Uh, Verse 31 in John chapter 13. If you don't have your Bible, the words will be on the screen for you. Here we go. When he had left the he there is Judas, left to go betray Jesus, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Okay, pause for a second. There's a ton, there's two verses, okay? There's so much here. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but 
a form of the word glory just showed up in two verses, just showed up five times. Okay, whenever you're reading the scriptures and like a word happens more than once in a short amount of time, typically the author is going, look over here, check this out. He's drawing our attention to something. In this case, John is clearly drawing our attention to this idea of glory and glorifying. So we're gonna camp out here for just a bit because it's really important. I'm gonna keep going, but I'm gonna spend some time here in these first two verses. What is glory? What does it mean to glorify? Um, Have you ever been to Disneyland or Disney World? Raise your hand if you have. Everybody knows what Disneyland and Disney World is, right? Cool. I'm trying to to use an illustration that'll be helpful. Okay, so pretty amazing. Uh, My family and I got gifted Disneyland passes for Christmas. It was one of the most touching, like generous wonderful things. It was amazing. So that being said, since Christmas, we've taken our kids to Disneyland a handful of times. And if you've ever taken children to Disneyland, it's simultaneously the most wonderful, amazing thing in the world because you get to experience it all over again through the eyes of children, which is just the best. And it's simultaneously, at the same time, it's really hard. Um, There's just this kind of overload, I think, that kids go through. Uh, when they're in Disneyland, where they're, they're stimulated by all this amazing stuff, all this beauty, all this candy, all this stuff that they want, and they just, sometimes they can't handle it. But it's, it's a challenge, but it's also seriously incredible. So needless to say, since we got gifted these passes for Christmas, we've taken the girls to Disneyland a handful of times. And one of the, one, one of the trips that we were on, it was just, it was, we were having a really, really good day. It was wonderful. Um, it kind of got to the end of the night, and we are like debating, okay, should we stay for like the fireworks show at the castle or are the kids like, because it's late enough at night to where they're pretty much past their bedtime. So it's like, are they going to lose it before the show starts or not? And we're kind of playing that game, you know? And we decide, okay, let's, let's stick around. Let's watch the fireworks. We carve out a spot kind of right there in front of the castle, you know? And uh, I have my eldest, Amelia, I have her up on my shoulders, you know, because the crowd started to get bigger and she, she wanted to be able to see. So I popped her up on my shoulders and the show starts. And it's like, Disney's just the best when it comes to like music and vibe and creating an environment where you're just like, oh yeah, I'm like, I'm in this. Like you're present. It just, they, they bring you in. It's such a great, they're just really gifted. And so the music, the music starts and the lights twinkle and the whole thing and you're like, you're captivated, you're in. And it was so cool because the show's happening and my daughter's on my shoulder. So her head is literally like right here above my head. And as this, you know, the fireworks are happening and the lights are going off, like I'm literally experiencing her experience this and just like the stuff coming out of her mouth. Wow! Oh my goodness! This is beautiful! Like she's, she can't help herself. She's just like, like she, she's experiencing this, 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 this glory in front of her and she can't help but glorify it. She was experiencing the glory. So what I want you to, well, the reason I tell you that story is I want you to understand what it is, what glory is and what it means to glorify. So glory is the specific attributes and actions that make something glorious. The specifics, not just like kind of blanket statement, the specific things that make some, something or someone glorious. And they're usually their excellence, right? So it's like the excellence that you encounter. In this case, it was the radiant, beautiful kind of light display and fireworks that were going off in the sky that Millie was captivated by. 
So it's the excellence that you encounter. And here's the thing about glory, friends. Glory, actually, it demands praise. When you encounter something glorious, you can't help but praise it, which is the case what happened with Millie. You're like, wow! No one's twisting her arm. It's just like an involuntary reaction that came out of her as she was experiencing the glory of the show, right? So to glorify is to ascribe glory to something. You with me in this? You get it? Cool. So it's to magnify the excellence of that with which is the source of glory. The beauty caused by the fireworks. And here's the cool thing about like when something is glorified. You're encountering something's glory, in Millie's case, the fireworks, and she's glorifying it. When something is glorified or someone is glorified, in Millie's case, she's saying, wow, she, her glorifying the fireworks, you know what it does? Is it informs everybody else around her about what the fireworks are like. Namely, that they're glorious in specific ways. You with me in this? Look back at verse 31. Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and listen to this, and God is glorified in him. So just stay with me. I know this is, I don't want to belabor the point, but I want you to see this. When I experienced Millie right above my head glorifying those fireworks, it informed me about the glory of the fireworks, namely their attributes and actions, right? So when it says that God is glorified in Jesus, it's saying that when we see Jesus, we see what God is like. You get it? It's saying that when we see Jesus, we see what God is like, his attributes, his actions. Jesus glorified God. When you see Jesus, you see God. So if you want to know what God is like, what? Look at Jesus. This is elementary stuff. I know this. But we can't move forward in this passage unless we see Jesus is highlighting this idea of glory, that, 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 that God is glorified in him. So if you want to see what, Je- want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Now, before we go on to the rest of this passage, there's, there's more here that you, you, you have to see, okay? Now, we know Jesus, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, right? Sinless, blameless, amazing. So all of Jesus' life glorified God the Father. All of it. But, hear me say this, Jesus is clearly drawing attention to something specific here. Did you catch it? Look back at verse 31. I'm going to start from the beginning. When he, remember Judas, Judas' betrayal, when Judas left, Jesus said what? Now. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. So Jesus is highlighting this moment. Now. This specific moment. What moment? The moment where Judas sets in motion the events that will lead to Jesus' crucifixion the very next day. It's like the ball was rolling and it's unstoppable. The avalanche formed at the top of the mountain and now it's moving. It's a matter of time till it reaches the bottom. Now. Now is when God is glorified in him, where God's glory is on display through Jesus. Let me read you a quote. Josh Redberg says this, quote, there is no place we can look to better understand who God is than the cross. There is no place we can look and more clearly recognize 
that he is worthy of all honor and glory than the cross. The cross is the highest moment of God's revelation to mankind. That is God revealing himself to mankind. In the cross, we learn more about God's excellence than in any other moment in history. In the death of Jesus, we see God's holiness and love, his righteousness and mercy, justice and grace, sovereignty and humility, wisdom and patience. If we want to understand God, we must study the cross. If we want to be transformed to the image of Jesus Christ, we must study the cross. Only through Jesus Christ, his suffering sacrifice, can God be known. So Amelia, my daughter, Amelia, saying, wow, it glorified the fireworks, right? It informed those around her of what the fireworks were like. Jesus going to the cross, it glorified God. Jesus going to the cross is the single greatest display of the glory of God. It's the single greatest display of what God is like. Like what he's really like. And friends, this is why we never move on from the cross. It's not like the doorway into Christianity. It's like the pool we swim in. We never move on from the cross. We never stop talking about it, ever. We never stop preaching about it. We never stop learning about it. We never stop meditating on it and going over every angle like it's a precious gem, because it is. That's why we never move on from the cross. The cross is central. it's, It's... Everything revolves around it. Everything. It's like, the, it's like the sun in a solar system, man. So if you want to experience God's glory, if you want to know what he's like, look to the cross. The cross is the sun in our solar system, right? But what happens when it's not? Like what happens when it's not the center, when it's not the sun, and something else becomes the center? Like, like, like emotions. Emotions are good. God created us to have them. They're not bad. But what happens when they become the sun? When they become the center of the solar system? Instead of the cross determining what God is like, sometimes our emotions do. And what happens is how we feel then determines what God's like. Sometimes it's not, not emotions. Sometimes it's circumstances. Where, where our experience determines what God is like. But the scripture tells us something totally different. The scripture says that the cross, more than anything else ever, tells us what God is like. It's really important. We never move on from it. In Matthew chapter five, in the middle of the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus the Messiah uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says this. He's talking to his disciples, okay? He says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand so it can give light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give, what does it say? 
glory to your Father in heaven. So, so Jesus is saying this. He's saying, he's basically describing like that, that, that people would see the way that you live and it would teach them about what God is like. It's this idea of reflecting, right? So when people see the way that you live, that means one, they can observe you. So you're not living a hidden life. They can observe the way you live your life. And when they watch you, it teaches them about what God is like, about his glory. The glorious, amazing, excellent things about God that they would encounter that through just through watching your life. Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus is getting at in here in John 13. Like, this is what it means to glorify. And guys, don't you see? The cross is actually what gives each of us power to live a life that resembles Jesus. And thus glorifies God. It's the power of the cross. And listen to me, here's how. When you see the reality of the cross, when you see it, like that what he's done for you, the implications, the lengths that he's gone to, when you see the cross accurately, not through like clouded lenses, when you see it accurately for what it truly is, it will be all the motivation you'll ever need to love him back. It'll be all the motivation you ever need to honor him and and, and obey him and enjoy him and operate like him, not out of duty, not to earn something from him, but just out of delight. For the one who displayed his, his just intense love for you by going where? By going to the cross. So, what do you do then when your faith is stale? You ever find yourself in those seasons, man, where you're like, I'm just not feeling it today. I know, I know what's true, but I'm like not feeling it today. I'm short with the people around me. If you heard the thoughts that are going through my brain as I'm driving on the freeway, it'd frighten you. What happens when your faith feels still? What do you do when the emotions or the circumstances have become the sun in your solar system? Um, like I said, we've been taking the girls to Disneyland, right? And it's been, it's been rad. One of the things that hasn't been rad is the crowds. Like, I don't know, maybe this is just my experience, but it seems as though every time we go, the crowds get bigger. And they just opened this new ride, uh, this new Star Wars ride, which we've yet to be able to ride on because we don't get there at 5 a.m. to stand in line. But someday we'll get in. Have you gotten in? Okay, see? No one gets in, like... But someday we'll get in. Harrison got in. He's too cool for school. Uh, but, <laughs> true that. But it feels like the crowds are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's kind of crazy, man. And it's funny, like, the more I like all people watch there, which is kind of fun for me to do, you see people from all over the world, all over the world coming to Disneyland, right? Coming to visit the happiest place on earth. And it's funny because it's not like a one-time thing. Like this is a regular occurrence. People plan regular visits to Disneyland from all over the planet. Disney World too, the Disney parks all over the, all over the world, right? But 
Um, so like I said, I'm like, I'm like feeling and sensing that the crowds are getting bigger. So I was like, you know, I want to kind of like look at some of the stats, some of the numbers. Like what is the attendance rate really looking like? And I couldn't find anything uh, newer than 2018, but they had the, the stats for 2018. And they said that it was uh, that Disney parks in 2018 had 158 million visitors. That's so many people. But that's a lot of people, okay? And it got me thinking like, Disneyland's awesome, but why is it so popular? Why? Like, why so many people? Why is it so popular? Here's my theory. My theory is because there's not many places like it. It's rare. It's unique. There's not many places like it. It's this... It's this special place where you feel like you're transported into another world, like a better world. And that's why millions of people from all over the world, they make this regular pilgrimage to Disney every year to be there, to experience Disneyland in all of its glory. My friend, when was the last time you made a pilgrimage to the cross? When was the last time you made a pilgrimage to the cross? To the single greatest display of God's glory. To the single greatest display of what he's like. What he's really like. Not what our emotions tell us sometimes. Not what our circumstances will try to deceive us into thinking. Not what culture says. What the cross says. the single greatest display of what he's like, his brilliance. Oh, the brilliance for him to dream up and fathom up and plan the cross, his brilliance to destroy sin and death without destroying the sinner. His, his, his love, it displays his love to lay down his life in your place, in my place. The single greatest display of his passion, like to stop at nothing to free his beloved His grace to do what's so scandalously undeserved. So what do you do if your faith feels stale or weak or just like blah? Like if, if you feel like God's distant or you feel like he doesn't care about you or you feel like he's absent, dude, you make that pilgrimage to the cross. They, Disney just raised their ticket prices. I don't know if you know this. The cross costs you nothing, costs Jesus everything. Make that pilgrimage back to the cross where God's glory is on display forever. And here's the thing, you'll know that you're seeing it. You'll know that you're encountering the glory glory when you can't help but say, wow, that's beautiful. Millie's sitting on my shoulder just giggling uncontrollably in awe of the beauty. You get the picture? Because remember, glory demands praise. Listen, that's why Herrick and I sit over here. Do you know why we sit over here? We sit over here because we want to be able to look at you. I know it might sound creepy. But it's not to like pick you apart. It's not to judge you. It's not to do any of that. It's to get a pulse on what's happening in the room. Like, 
Are you encountering the glory of God or not? And then how can we pastorally be sensitive to the spirit to prop Jesus, his grace, his cross, his love, to prop him up in such a way that you do encounter his glory? How will we know if you're encountering his glory or not? By your praise. Because because glory demands praise. So we're not being creepers over here. We're observing the room. Are you encountering the glory of God? We don't don't try to manipulate you on Sundays. We try to proclaim the glory of God. Because if you encounter the glory of God, you can't help but be like, wow, this is so beautiful. Even the giggles, you can't help it. The cross is the single greatest display of the glory of God. Let's jump back in, verse 33. That was two verses in. Oh boy, I'll speed up. I promise, it'll go quicker. Verse 33, Uh, children, really quick. He says children, he's not being a jerk. He's being affectionate here. He's not like belittling them. This is like a close relationship. Children, I am with you a little longer. Um, Events move quickly at this point, right? You guys are familiar with the story. Things are gonna move fast here. His arrest is gonna happen right after this. Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he's going to have the trial in the middle of the night, right? Uh, he's going to be crucified the next morning. So basically, at this point, in less than 24 hours, Jesus will have been murdered. You with me? So things are moving quick. I'm with you a little longer, he says. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. Listen to verse 34. There's like 14 sermons in this verse. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Pause. What does Jesus mean by new command? The command to love is not new. Old Testament, right? Leviticus chapter 19 talks about love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus comes on the scene and says, all of the law and the prophets can be summed up by like, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, right? This idea, this, this, this command to love is not new. What's new here is the measurement. I don't know if you caught it. What's new here is the measurement. Before Jesus, the measurement was you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, I don't know about you, it is difficult to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that is a challenging thing. Um, There's a reason why most people don't do that naturally. It's because it's hard, okay? It's difficult to love your neighbor as yourself. It is far more difficult to love them as Christ loves them. Like, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's like upping the ante just mightily. This, This new command is much more intense Instead of loving your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor, love each other specifically. He's talking about disciples. Maybe we'll have time to get into that. He's talking to disciples saying, love each other in the same way that I love you. He's upping the ante. And guys, that's what makes this so incredible. Like, do you see what Jesus is doing here? It's amazing. Notice, it's a command, right? It's not a suggestion, it's not a question, it's a command. He's giving a command to his followers, which means it's not optional. 
If Jesus is king, it's not an optional thing, right? If, you, if, if, if you're a disciple of Jesus, it's not optional. He's giving a command to love each other with the most intense and radical love that there is. The pinnacle of love. It's a self-sacrificial love. So, in other words, instead of love your neighbor as yourself, love each other more than self. You get it? You follow me with this? It's different. He says, this intense, radical, crazy love, that's what his disciples will be known for. Out of the mouth of Jesus, right? That's what his disciples will be known for. Hear me say this. That's Jesus' vision for the church. The church is called to a lot of things, but nothing more than radical, intense, and crazy love for each other, according to Jesus. But let's get interactive here for a second. Let's be honest. What is the church known for? Hypocrisy, it's a big one in my experience. The moment I meet someone new, they find out I'm a pastor, they have so, rightfully so, they have so many judgments that they're making in that moment about me. Hypocrisy, that, that, that Christians, that the church is hateful towards different people groups, that the church is arrogant, the church is divided based on so many different things, socioeconomics, race, gender, class, the whole nine yards. That the church is stingy. That one really ticks me off. What's my point? Whether you like it or not, whether you like it or not, your discipleship to Jesus, it paints a picture of what he's like to the world. So here's, here's my like dream with me, okay? What if, what if instead of hypocrisy, arrogance, pride, being hateful, being stingy, being divided, being judgmental, what if instead of those things, what if we were known for intense, radical, crazy love for each other? Like, like what if people said, dude, you know what? Like, I don't, I'm not sure, but like, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but those Christians, they like have this crazy love for each other. I'm not sure I subscribe to their beliefs, but they radically love each other. Like, guys, do you know how intoxicating that kind of love is for people who are outside of it? It's like, have you ever been walking in your neighborhood and you smell it and you smell you know someone's cooking barbecue? This happened to me the other week. I'm, I'm like, I'm walking down my street and I'm like, dude, that is like pulled pork. And I, I, they're smoking it. Like, are those ribs? I, like, your, your nose goes nuts and you start salivating. And you're like, God, this smells incredible. You have people coming out of their houses and they're like, God, I think I smell barbecue. Like, what is that? Like, people are converging. People, neighbors who never talk to each other, they just pull in their garage and shut the garage door behind them. They're coming out, meeting in the middle of the street. Like, oh my gosh, like, do you smell it too? I can smell it. Do you smell it? It's like when you smell barbecue, it's like, you ever seen those Axe body spray commercials that are just ridiculous? It's like some sketchy dude's gonna spray himself with Axe and all these beautiful women are just gonna be like, Sss. it's kind of, that's, the barbecue thing's true, the Axe body spray is not, but. It's like, dude, even vegetarians. 
Even vegetarians are like, dude, I don't eat meat, but that smells delicious. (laughs) This kind of love, hear me say this, this kind of love, it draws every type of person. No matter their background, no matter what they've been through, no matter what they've done, whether they're vegetarians or not, every type of person, because all of us were created to give and receive this kind of intense love. That's Jesus' vision for the church. And what are we if we aren't that? So I just want to warn you, Christian in the room, if you're just kind of figuring out, like trying to discern Jesus, whether he's real and feeling the church out, like I'm not talking to you for a second. Christian in the room, I just want to caution you. I did this with me this week and it was sobering, but it was liberating because of the cross. I just want to caution you, beware. Like if you find that your life is like becoming more and more marked by something other than radical love for your fellow disciples, let that be an indicator that in that moment, it's probably not Jesus that you're following. At best, it's this like phony kind of watered down version of Jesus. A lot of different people have a lot of different ways that they define Jesus. And it can get us into trouble. But Jesus says, his words, he says his disciples will be known by what? Christ-like love for each other. And dude, this, I'm gonna go on a rant for just a second. People will say things like the church is getting more and more irrelevant. Like it's drifting off into oblivion. Like it's shrinking like crazy. We gotta be alarmed, be afraid. Oh, Christians, like the church is gonna go away. What are we gonna do? It's becoming irrelevant. Dude, radical self-sacrificial love will never be irrelevant, ever. Like what's irrelevant is counterfeit disciples promoting a counterfeit Jesus. That's irrelevant all day long. Hypocritical, not remorseful, not repentant, prideful, arrogant. That's not following Jesus. I'm, I'm not trying to be up here like, being like I'm, I don't want to come across prideful. Like I need the blood of Jesus to cover my sins just as much as anybody else. But I just want us to be clear on what Jesus says for us to live, or how Jesus says for us to live. Radical love will always get people's attention. It's like barbecue. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, verse 36, our last verses, we're almost done. Last three verses. Verse 36, Lord, Simon Peter said to him, Simon Peter, the apostle Peter, you know, Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. He's talking about Peter. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. There's at least two more sermons in these three verses, so I'm not gonna, I'm gonna try to like keep this brief. There's not enough time. Here's what I want you to notice. Do you notice Peter's zeal? Let me start by saying zeal is not a bad thing at all. Zeal is wonderful. Passion. 
Notice his zeal. He's like, Jesus, I know you just gave us like this mind-blowing command, uh, but like, you know, to love others, to love each other actually like you do, but why can't I come with you right now? Why can't I come with you right now? I die for you, Jesus. So in other words, I'm qualified, Jesus. I'm ready. Why can't I come with you now? But Jesus, he knows Peter, man. Like he knows him at the deepest level. You know Jesus existed pre-incarnate, right? Like prior to putting on flesh. The scriptures say, for from him and through him and to him are all things. God spoke through his what? Words and created through his words. Jesus is the word put on flesh. Jesus was there in the beginning. He, He created you. He created me. He created everything that we see. He's responsible for it. He knows Peter. He created Peter. He knows Peter better than Peter knows himself. And what's his response to Peter? In his zeal, I'm ready, Jesus. I'm ready. I'm qualified. I'm ready. Jesus says, dude, actually, Peter, before the sun comes up tomorrow, you know, before the rooster crows, before the sun comes up tomorrow, you're not just going to deny me once. You're not just going to deny me twice you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Peter, your zeal is wonderful, but it's also blinding you because there's fear of man in Peter's heart. If you know the story, he does end up denying Jesus three times. He cusses out a young girl because his fear of man gets the best of him. Jesus knows Peter better than Peter knows Peter. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, you find yourself in a similar season where you're like, I'm ready, Jesus. Let's do this. I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you into more influence. I'm ready to follow you into more responsibility. I'm ready to follow you into more money. I'm ready to follow you into marriage. I have no idea why I'm still single. I'm called to marriage. Like, I'm ready to follow you into all of these things, Jesus. But Jesus knows you. Like he knows you better than you know yourself. And just like Peter, he cares deeply about your calling. Deeply about your calling. But do you know what he cares about even more than your calling? Your character your character. And he's like, hey, you know that, that new command I just gave you? Like, why don't we start there? Why don't we start there? You'll follow me into the other stuff when the time is right, when your character can actually like, handle the weight of your calling. Friends, Let us be a people where God's commands come first. Primary, paramount. Because they develop Christ-like character in us that we need in order to actually live out our calling. Okay, I'll call the band up. I'll close with this. You guys with me? You okay? I think we're doing good on time. Great.
I don't know about you, but whenever I read these stories of interactions between Peter and Jesus, it really gives me so much hope. Like, if you're familiar with Peter's story, the dude is not, I mean, <laughs> he's kind of a screw-up. Like, he reminds me of myself a lot. He, he, you know the story, like, he denies Jesus the three times, like, just like Jesus said he would. Um, fast forward to after Jesus' death, after his resurrection, you know, he says Peter's the guy, that he's the, like the leader of the church, and, he's, and he's, he's making disciples, he's an apostle, he's planting churches, his ministry is taking off, people are getting like healed in his shadows and stuff because the presence of God is so powerfully on his life. Like he's this just pillar of the faith. And then you've like, and then in the middle of his ministry, he like, he just stops walking in step with the gospel if you remember reading in Galatians where he's like essentially becomes racist. Like, this is Peter. Had some amazing things and also had some really big screw-ups. And here's the thing. The reason why this is so, this brings me so much hope and I hope brings you hope is Jesus never gives up on him. Not once, man. And he screwed up like big time. Like he made some pretty big mistakes. but Jesus never gives up on him. Maybe you've made mistakes in your life. And maybe you need to hear that Jesus never gives up on you either. And the cool thing about Peter is like you have throughout the rest of Peter's life, the unlimited, always available, never running out, never running dry grace of God, it actually transforms Peter. It transforms Peter into someone whose character actually could handle the weight of his calling. And it's cool because if you follow the church history, you know that Peter was actually crucified upside down. He didn't deny Jesus at the end. His character became a whole lot more Christ-like the more he encountered what? The grace of God. The glory of God on display where? You with me? The cross. And hear me say this, your calling is very similar to Peter's calling. It's very similar. Your calling is to be like Jesus, to live a life as though Jesus were you. Your calling is to be like Jesus, to live a life that glorifies God, that glorifies him, that shows the world what God is really like that if they watched you, they would encounter the glory of God and it would take their breath away. Not you, although you're important and you're amazing, but because he is that glorious and that breathtaking. Will you stand with me if you're able? I wanna pray for us. I wanna open it up for ministry and see what the spirit wants to do. take a moment just to listen, okay? I want to invite you to open your heart. Let God lead you in specific ways. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Would you come rest upon us right now? Would you come rest upon us, Holy Spirit? We want you.
desire you. Would you glorify Jesus in our hearts? Would you point us to the cross? somebody trying to build something but they don't have the right pieces and I feel like the spirit wants to build you he wants you to stop trying to find the right piece to build the life that you think you should have and to trust him to assemble you as you just obey his commands simply simple obedience I know you're zealous I know you have a passion. I know you can see into the future and some specifically wonderful things. But let's start with, let's start here. Let's start in the beginning with this new command. To love as you've been loved. That, start, that, that starts with, that presupposes receiving love. So Holy Spirit, I pray for the room. That first and foremost, that you would enable us to receive the reality of your love on display at the cross. exactly what you were doing and it was the greatest display of love ever it was the greatest display of the glory of God ever what he's really like the specific ways that he's glorious namely his grace namely his mercy namely his passionate unending love so pour yourself out on our spirit we want you we desire you we hunger for you Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be be filled. So we claim that, Lord. We claim that promise. Fill us. We love you, Jesus. You're so good. You're so good.